0: Please, the book of Acts, chapter 2, we continue a study we started last week in the book of Acts. Acts, chapter 2, we'll begin to read this morning in verse number 1. And for a few moments, I want to speak to you on this subject today, the day the church was born. The day the church was born. Acts, chapter 2, we'll begin to read in verse number 1. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. When Acts chapter 2 began reading verse 1, the Bible says these words, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed, and they marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all of these who speak Galileans, and how is it that we hear each in our own in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, joined Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, and arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mock, saying they're full of new wine. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Spirit would speak to us and challenge us. God, help us to focus. Lord, the devil would seek to capture our attention away from this text. More importantly, God, from what you want to do in our lives Today. So, Father, we pray your spirit would put a hedge of protection around this place today. And, God, your perfect will would be done in every heart and in every life. We pray for the one who's never been saved. They'll turn and trust you. And, God, we pray you will continue to challenge the church and remind us what it is that you've called us to do in these days. And, God, I pray that we'll be filled and overflowing, Lord, with not only the power of your spirit and the control of your spirit, but, God, that we'll be faithful uh, to what you called us to do, living on mission in these days. Bless this time. Challenge us. May your perfect will be done in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I invite you to be seated. Again, uh, the book of Acts is a study of uh, the early uh, church, and certainly uh, it is the acts of the apostles, but really it's the acts of Jesus Christ through the church. We saw last week, Luke 1910, Jesus again said, Uh, Of Himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And the ministry continued through His spiritual body, the church, and still continues uh, today. And so the Spirit of God descended uh, on the day of Pentecost. That's what we're looking at today. They were all praying together. Uh, And and the real power in a local church, I want to remind you, uh, it's not in personalities, it's not in plans, it's not in finances. It's not in buildings. Uh, from time to time since I've been in ministry, there have been a pastor that was established at a church for many years. You know, I've been the founding pastor. And you'll hear someone say, "You know, well, when he ever retires, that church will die. Well, friend, if that's the case, one of two things happened. Either that ministry was all about him, or they never grew disciples that were dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Because if a local church is dependent upon one personality, it never was really dependent upon Jesus Christ. And so the disciples we're seeking to build in this church said, God, move me next week, ministry ought to continue. And if ministry doesn't continue exactly the way that it was the week before, then I have failed as your pastor. Or you failed to follow, or a combination of both. But when a local church builds disciples that are fully dependent upon Jesus Christ, and then the leaders of that church are yielded to the Spirit of God. It doesn't matter who's in charge, or can I remind you who's sitting in the pew? The ministry in that local church will continue because our real dependence is upon the Holy Spirit. You hear that? You've got to have this plan. You know, you've got or you've got to use this specific ministry. Listen, Awana is not the end all for reaching children for Jesus Christ. This is the plan that we felt led. To use. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit through that ministry that makes a difference, not the ministry itself. So we could use any plan that we want to on Wednesday night as long as we're surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and the Word of God is present. So it's not the plan, it's not finances. You know, friend, I want to remind you, friend, you know, that God owns it. And I want to remind you, you know, God He He calls us and we're required to to joyfully give back 10% of what he gives, but the whole 100% belongs to him. It's all his. And so God owns a cattle on a thousand hills and even the hills they're standing on, and he'll take one or two to the market if he has to to meet our needs. So we're not dependent upon finances. We're not dependent upon the building. I think the, I think the church building ought to be the most beautiful building in the community. It ought to be the most well-kept. It ought to be the most up-to-date. A church ought to smell like a church. If you know what I'm talking about, say amen. There's, there's nothing spiritual. I'm glad ours, ours doesn't. I was talking to my dad last week. He said, why did old churches smell so musty? Uh, you know, you just you walked in, you got a sinus infection by the time you left. It's, well, friend, it's, we're, not, we're not dependent upon having the most up-to-date. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but having the finest and the best won't bring about success in ministry. And so we see in our text today what the church is really dependent on, where the real power is, and it's in the presence of God's Holy Spirit. And that's what we see on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit coming down, God fulfilling His promise. Where the Spirit of God is absent, you have a dead, lifeless body. And friend, I've pastored churches that were dead as dead could be, and I think... I thank God in the midst of it, He still saved some people. They were dead when I got there, and they were dead when I left, and they're still, it's still dead today. And what made it dead is not the people or the personalities. It was a rejection of God's Word and rejection of, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what makes a church alive is not the tempo, the beat of the music, or the cuteness of the leaders, you know, how, how relative and relevant they can be and again, what makes the church alive is the presence of the holy spirit and his feeling in the life and the work of the people well at pentecost and acts two we see a shift now in how god begins to work through his people the spirit of god had rested upon people now people are going to be indwelt by the holy spirit so i want you to notice some things that took place today that god fulfilled his promise and sent the power that the church needed. It was the day the church was born. Number one, don't you notice with me this morning where God fulfilled his promise, where, where he fulfilled it. We'll back up just a little bit to Acts chapter one, and we'll see again that Jesus had told them in verse number eight that they would receive power and then he was taken up in the cloud out of their sight, and they began to to look. Verse 11 says that uh, two angels came and spoke to them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven, will so in like manner come as you saw him go. And notice verse number 12. The Bible says they returned. Life had to go on. And one of the challenges I see in ministry is, is when there is change in someone's life, either through the loss of a loved one or through a major change in their life, sometimes Christians refuse to move on. They they just continue to stand and to memorialize what was. I want to submit to you this morning that that the church would not have experienced what we're going to see it experience in Acts chapter 2 if they would have just continued to stand there and then built a monument to when Jesus ascended into heaven. They were sad to see him go, but life was going to continue to move on. And so when you experience a life-changing event, it is difficult, there's a time to grieve. But why don't you listen to me this morning uh, through, through the encouragement, through God's Word. If you're going to continue to do and to be what God has called you to be, you've got to return to life. You've got to keep moving forward. And the Bible says here, then they return. One of the saddest things to me is pastoring people who refuse to move on for whatever reason. They just continued to stand and gaze up into heaven. They said, look, why are you standing here? He's not here anymore, uh, but he'll come again. He's given you work to do. So they returned to Jerusalem, and then they they began to wait. They had to call and to choose now a new uh, apostle to help join them. But the Bible says, friend, they were all together in one accord. They were all together. Verse number 13 of Acts chapter 1 says, they entered... Uh, in, went up into an upper room, and while they were staying there, they, they were all together in, in one place. They're waiting. They're praying. Why are they doing this? Don't miss this this morning. It's not because they you know, had a business meeting, and, and that was the, the decision of, of the majority. It's because that's what Jesus told them to do. He ministered for 40 days. God in His providence had chosen that the Holy Spirit would come on the day of Pentecost, Penta. Five? Well, he's he's been here. He's been resurrected for forty days. Well, forty minus fifty is really. I mean, is that? I mean, Western North Carolina's got better math than that. I mean, come on. That's ten. They're going to have to wait ten days. Can you imagine asking the church to pray for ten days? We can't hardly get the church to pray for an hour sometimes. We get together for a fall festival and ask people to come and pray, and they won't show up unless we give food, and that's nothing to laugh about. They got together, friend, and they prayed. They waited and prayed because they were dependent and they were surrendered. Friend, you couldn't get people together for 10 days hardly together now. This, they displayed a sense of unity. They were together, friend, in one mind, one heart, and one spirit in what God had called them to do. Friend, I want to remind you the Spirit of God is quenched when the people of God can't get along. It's absolutely quenched. And the reason a lot of churches never accomplish anything for God is they can't get along. There's different groups within the church, there's different factions, there's different little uh, groups that are warring for, for power, and the devil's the devil's ever, ever seeking to sow a foothold in a local church through discord. And now, listen, there's gonna be some things that will rub you wrong in ministry sometimes. I realize that. And and, and it's okay to have an opinion. Don't you to listen? Don't be the person, the tool that the devil uses to sow discord into the life of the church. A lot of people sometimes are just too oblivious to whatever it is that you've got your nose out of joint. And most of the time that person knows that they're oblivious to it and they want to get people on their side. And so they'll come in with a long face. Well, what's the matter with you? Oh, you didn't know? Well, they moved our room. They moved her chair. Moved our coffee pot. Well, they're canceled choir. They've asked us to wear masks. Whatever it is. But something just to sow negativity into the heart and life of of, of the local church. These people stayed together in prayer, focused, waiting on God to move because they were unified. And we don't all have to be robots. Everybody doesn't have to have the same haircut, dress the same, carry the same Bible, act the same. We don't have to do the same things outside. But friend, if we're going to be effective as a local church, we have got to be unified in the essentials. There must be unity. We're grounded in the word. We're grounded in the mission. And we're moving together. And listen, and we've all got to be, there must be a collective lordship. The reason that there's disunity in local churches is there's not collective lordship. But when every single member of the church is surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ, I'm always going to be last. If Jesus is truly Lord of my heart, it's Jesus first, others second, and I'm always last. And if everybody's living out that reality, friend, then there's going to be collective lordship. Listen, you can't drive a wedge in a piece of wood that there's not a crack already. You can't do it. You go out and try to take a piece of concrete that's hardened and cured and drive a wedge down in it. You can't do it. You've got to find a jackhammer and create a wedge. But if there's already a division, how easy it goes. I hear people say, well, they voted on carpet and it split the church. Well, they changed the time and it split the church. No, friend, the issue didn't split the church. It showed where the split already was. There wasn't collective lordship. It happens in families. It happens in every relationship. God used these group of people because they had collective lordship. God had called them to do something and they they were doing it. For the church to be used and to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, there must be unity and collective lordship. I'm just amazed. I'm amazed. I watch the news how all Satan's crowd's working together. Man, they've got unity. I mean, all these cults. I saw these boys the other day, you know, in white shirts and black jeans pushing their bicycle. They were out in the rain going from house to house. I thought, if the local church only had that drive for the Great Commission. All these cults are unified. You don't have to look far up in the wash and see the devil's crowd unified. The church must be unified that way if we're going to be effective. And the early church was. Number two, I want you to notice now, not only first was there where God fulfilled his promise, it was in the life of the local church that was unified there in the upper room. But notice when the early church was born, when God fulfilled his promise. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, "...when the day of Pentecost had fully come." The Jews had celebrated Pentecost many times before. Leviticus chapter 23, 15 and following. Uh, God through Moses had shared with them things that were going to happen at Pentecost. They were to take grain. It was to be ground together, mixed with oil and leaven. And then it was to be baked. And two loaves would be made. And the priest would come out with these two loaves. There were uh, ten different animals that were to be sacrificed. Seven lambs, one bullock, and, and two, two rams. And so these were sacrificed. And that's what would happen on the day of Pentecost. The priest would wave these, these two pieces of bread to demonstrate uh, the life of the nation of Israel. And so this had been a celebration, if you will. It had been uh, a, a, a feast that took place yearly. But now the day of Pentecost had fully come. You see, all of the Old Testament sacrifices, remember in Hebrews 6, that the conversation between God the Father and God the Son, uh, Jesus had sacrificed an offering, thou wouldest not. God called for all of these Old Testament offerings, but yet He wasn't fully satisfied in them. Why? Because the, the blood of bulls and goats can never take away human sin. All of these Old Testament offerings and Old Testament sacrifices, don't miss this, they were shadows. There were simply shadows of things that were going to take place. And that's what Pentecost was. 120 pieces of grain went up into a room. But they're going to be ground together through the anointing of the oil. That's the type of the Holy Spirit. Leaven was added. It's a reminder that, friend, listen, the moment you got saved, you were saved from sin's penalty. And thank God through the power of the Holy Spirit and His possession of your life... You can be set free from sin's possession over your life, but you're never going to be freed from sin's presence until the rapture. We're always going to have to deal with that. And so that leaven is a reminder of the church as though we seek to do ministry and be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're constantly dealing with the old nature. We're always going to have to deal with sin. It's always going to be amongst us. And so this was symbolic of what happened. As the priest met that day, and the Jews there at the temple began to celebrate, uh, pass, uh, celebrate Pentecost, and the the priest came out and he waved these two loaves of bread. It was symbolic of these believers who were going to come together. They'd been 120 different little pieces of grain, if you will. Now they've been ground together in one heart and one spirit. The oil's been applied. The Holy Spirit's touched them. There's there's a representative of leaven that's there, but now they've been brought out into the world as not different pieces of grain, but as whole loaves one body in Jesus Christ. The sacrifices took place, and friend, the only way that they could be ground into those two pieces, those two loaves and that, that one loaf, really, that the church is, is through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the shadow? They couldn't see it, though. All they saw was, well, it's, it's, it's Pentecost Day, time for the priest to wave the bread, time for the animals to die, but they couldn't see that Jesus was that that Pentecost lamb, and they couldn't see what God was going to do in the life of the church. 120 different believers. Now, they've been been given a mission. They've been called to do the impossible. But how could they get the gospel, Acts 1-8, from where they were into the next county, out into the state, into the rest of the country, and all the way around the world? Well, it's because... God, through His providence, had brought all of these Jews here for Pentecost. He, he had brought them here to celebrate this sacrifice and to celebrate this together. And now they're going to be able to hear the gospel. God brought all of these people to them. And so people were talking in Jerusalem about what had taken place. This carpenter, this Jewish carpenter, they'd murdered. And now they can't find his body. And now you've got all these different 120 people and these people say, well, somebody said he's been risen from the grave and people said they saw him for 40 days. People didn't even believe so. I thought I saw him walking down the street. He was, he sure looked like that guy that said he was God's son. There was news. People were talking. They were, they were talking about things that were happening. So God brought all of these people together. Peter, Peter's going to Preach a message, 120 people are going to share their faith, and at the end, friend, 3,000 people are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's, That's when it happened, when Pentecost had fully come. Now the church was one body in Christ. And friend, listen, nobody in this church is telling you don't be you. You keep you keep being who God has called you to be. and You be uniquely who your personality is. You laugh the way you laugh, and you, know, you, you style your hair the way you style it. You go on vacation where you go. You like the football team and the teams that you like, and you do around your house the things that you like to do. But friend, listen, spiritually, we are to be one body in Jesus Christ. You say, well, well I just think it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. Only what matters is what the will of God is. And so we're to set aside all those differences because when you got saved, friend, you were baked into the loaf. Say amen. Amen. Baked into the loaf. You're part of the family of God. And so as they began to, to share their faith, it was like a forest fire. Now these people who are going to receive Christ we're going to see next week, they're going to begin to go out. And they're going to begin to share what's happened to them. And so like embers break off of a forest fire and move two or three acres down, sadly, sadly, and set another, another patch of dry ground on fire. That's what people living on mission do. And so that's when the church was born, was, was, at, was at Pentecost. And it's still the same today. That's what God calls us to do. When you go down to that dry work environment you work at, just be on fire for Jesus Christ, friend, and somebody might get saved. Wherever you go, just just be lit on fire for Jesus Christ. And I'm I'm thankful God has called us to be a part of a mission that is completely and wholly dependent upon His empowerment and His enabling for success. And I shared in discipleship last week, I, I ran from God only on my own calling, but also in witnessing. When I first really got serious about my faith and being surrendered to Christ's lordship, I just, I was, listen, I'd rather preach to 10,000 people than witness to one person. I'm being honest with you. Because it's spiritual warfare. The devil wants to create within you the fear of rejection. How are you going to be able to, 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 to bridge the gap? How are you going to be able to share what, what they need to hear? And that's all that it is, is spiritual warfare. But when I began to understand, friend, that I didn't have to be dependent upon my equipping, and, and and my knowledge, but just be surrendered to His power. Boy, how freeing that is. How freeing that is. And so God showed up on the day of Pentecost. It was a difficult day for them. It's a difficult day now. But friend, we're at the right place and at the right time. God has called this church to be faithful just like that early church. And so we need to fully, every single day, go out and just live on mission for the Lord. Now, we've seen... Where they were, we've seen when it happened. But I want you to notice now how God fulfilled his promise on the day that the church was born. I want you to notice how the church was really born. We'll go back to verse number 2. We know that it was the day of Pentecost. We've seen back in Leviticus 23 what that represented. But then spiritually, what what it really meant, we saw that they were all together in one place, in one heart, so that God could work in their midst. But the Bible says that when the Spirit of God came, verse 2 of chapter 2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. The promise was the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's what God promised. Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I promise you God's going to send you a helper. You're going to receive Acts 1. You're going to receive power. And so now Jesus... Though he had ministered in the body of flesh and blood, now he's going to minister through his spiritual body, the church. And so the Holy Spirit now is going to begin to move through them. And you will see in the book of Acts later, someone wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. And I've seen before, I was sick several years ago. I got up, couldn't sleep. I turned on the television. And some guy was on there selling prayer rags and prayer water that had the Holy Spirit in it. If you'd send him a donation, you could drink the Holy Spirit. Friend, let me tell you something. You can't buy the Holy Spirit. No one can mail you the Holy Spirit. No one can sling their coat around hit you in the head and put the Holy Spirit in your body. The only way you can receive the Holy Spirit is to repent of your sin and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. And when you do that, you will be indwelt. We saw in our study of 1 and 2 Samuel, early on when the Lord was using Saul, the, the, literally the, the Lord wrapped his, his spirit around Saul like a coat. He, he, the Holy Spirit in Old Testament times rested upon people. But now we see in the New Testament the, the Holy Spirit indwelling people. The Bible says it happened, it happened suddenly, verse 2 says. It just, it just happened. It just came upon them. And that's the way it happens when you get saved. There's not a process, you don't have to take a class, you, you, don't, you don't graduate along, it doesn't happen after baptism. You know, there's, there's a group, and I, just, I stood amazed, you know, people were bringing in the guys that blow the duck calls years ago, years ago just saying, man, what, what great on-fire Christians these guys are. Man, they believe in Jesus Christ. I will to tell you about all those guys with the long beards that blow the, the duck calls. They believe that you're not saved, friend, until you're Baptized. They believe, their doctrine is, you, you trust Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, but you do not receive the Holy Spirit until you are baptized by immersion. That's what they believe. Go to the church they attend and read what we believe. Now, I'm telling you, that is a work of the flesh. Jesus plus anything is a cult. When you repent and you trust Jesus Christ, you don't, listen, it's not a matter of if you get baptized or when you get baptized. When you repent and you trust Jesus Christ, you are suddenly saved. You're suddenly saved. You don't have to go on a mission trip. You don't have to prove yourself to a council of elders. You don't go through a class and then you're confirmed. It doesn't happen when someone sprinkles water upon you or hits you with some gold chalice. You repent, you trust Christ, and suddenly... You are born again by the power of God. That's the way it happens. The Bible says that suddenly the Spirit of God came. It says, and there was, there was a sound from heaven. They, they, heard, they heard a wind. John chapter 3, verse number 8, Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. After John chapter 3, verse 7, He says, Do not marvel, thou said you that you must be born again. He says, verse number 8, there'll be evidence if you've been saved, you've been born again. He said, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell from where it comes or from where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Bible says, suddenly the Holy Spirit came, and there was a sound from heaven. The Bible says, friend, that if you've really been saved, though you may not can see the Holy Spirit come, though you may not can see someone being born again, you're going to see the effects. I can't see the wind blowing through the trees, but I can see the effect on the tree. You see the effect. So The Bible clearly teaches this, friend. No change, no salvation. No effect. It's It's not that you work to do something. Don't miss that. When the wind blows through the trees... The trees bend. When the Holy Spirit suddenly comes upon someone, friend, at the moment of salvation, there will be lasting change. You can see the effect. It's going to happen. If you house the Holy Spirit, there's going to be evidence. There'll be evidence. But not only that, friend, I want you to notice that when the Holy Spirit came, also how he came, that he came as, as a fire. Verse 2 says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, there in unity together. And there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And so the significance is this, friend, now God has set their mouths on fire for the purpose of which he's called them. And we've reminded you of this for five years, and we, we, we went into depth last week in discipleship. God has called every single one of us to live on mission. He's called each of us. We looked last Sunday morning. Jesus said, you are to be my witnesses, Matthew 28, as you are going. Every day we're to be witnesses. He's to own our mouth, and he's to, he's to set our mouth on fire with the gospel and to be a witness and to simply tell people what Christ Has done in our lives. And that that means, friend, they were enthused to talk about the gospel. They wanted to tell everybody what Jesus Christ had just done for them. And that's the way you ought to feel. I hear people from time to time, they find a new restaurant. They want to, oh man, we found this great new restaurant. You go, was it good? Oh, it was great. Service was good. Price was right. Oh, I mean, the barbecue's just out of this world. You've got to go try it. I've never met anybody say, well, what would y'all do for that? Well, we went out to eat. We went out to eat. Went out to eat. Well, was it good? Oh, it, it was great. It was just terrible. It was just terrible. I mean, no, it was great. I mean, it's the most amazing meal. Will you act like it's terrible? No, it's the most amazing meal I ever, ever ate in my life. We well, sure don't act like it. Well, I mean, it was. It was one. the price was almost free. Um, it was like my mother was serving me. I mean, it was just, it was just really good. Well, I, mean, you think I, I mean, I really do think if you ought to go. I mean, you ought, to, you ought to go there. No one acts that way. But why is it in the local church that so many people act like, you know, we, we've asked you to, to go live in the White House for a couple of weeks when we encourage you to share about the greatest thing that's ever happened in your life. The greatest thing, friend, if you've been saved, that's ever happened to you. It's not the day your child was born. It's not the day you got married. It's the day that you got saved. But we allow Satan to bring us to, to a place that that's a negative thing to talk about. Well, I just can't do that. And here's the big one in the South. I sure can't do it to my family. Because you just can't witness the family. Why can you not talk about the greatest thing that ever happened to you? Why can't you go to the workplace and talk about the greatest thing that ever happened to you? If someone paid off your mortgage, I guarantee you would go tell everybody about it. If you've got cancer and you had been cured, you'd tell everybody about it. If that prayer request you've been praying for, if God came through, you'd want everybody to know about it. You'd have no problem talking. I guarantee you this, when your football team wins, you don't have any problem talking about it. But why do we allow Satan to bring us to a place that we can't talk about what Jesus Christ did for us when he saved our soul? Because we yield to, 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 to spiritual defeat, and his attacks on our life. These people, friend, God set their mouths on fire. They didn't allow all the things that the devil told them about them that might even have been true to hinder them and keep them from going out into the streets and they're going to speak the gospel in a way that everyone can hear it. Friend, if we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, it is God's will for us to be heralds of the gospel every day and everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. And the opportunities are there. Listen, I was checking out at Lowe's yesterday, and the lady asked me, she says, are are you a veteran? I said, yes, ma'am. I'm so thankful get a little veteran discount there. And she says, well, thank you for your service. She goes, boy, it's a mess over there in the Middle East right now. I said, yes, ma'am, it is. But see, God put the ball right there on the tee. And I'm not even the golfer. But I mean, the ball was on the tee. And I said, but ma'am, I want to tell you something. God's still on the throne. God's still on the throne. God knows all about it. And so I had the opportunity right then to be in a spiritual conversation. Now listen, it's lined up. I wasn't going to open up my Bible and say, now ma'am, can I share a few verses with you right now? That's not the time. But I'll say, well, I share that just by way of saying, not bragging, but just to give you an example of seize every opportunity you have, friend, to tell people about the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. And listen, if it's not that great to you, maybe because you've never experienced it. Or you've just gotten over it, and you need revival. You need to be reminded of how lost you were how barreling toward hell the reality of your life was. And that really what Jesus Christ said, because I've shared with you so many times, I've hell's not hot anymore in the church. It's not. Matter of fact, it might be a good place to go in the church today. Just okay. Won't be as good as heaven. But it's not going to be really that bad. Friend, I want to tell you, the Bible says in Luke 16, it is a place of torment, eternal suffering. The Bible says it's a place where the fire is not quenched, and the worm doth not, and Gehenna will be a place where people will burn for all eternity. Hell's as hot as it ever was. and We need to be excited, friend, about what Jesus Christ saved us from and pray that he'll set our mouths on fire like he did these 120 believers to share with people what Christ has done for us Fourth, and I closed this morning. Notice what happened when the church was born. We saw how it happened. They were born again by the Holy Spirit. He came suddenly. There was a great sound. He set their mouths on fire, and He set their souls on fire. But notice what happened. They began to speak. Verse 4 says, they were all filled now. The Spirit of God didn't rest upon them, but now they're indwelt. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. We've preached through the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here this morning, but I just want to say this, and we'll see the two verses after that bear this out. They weren't speaking in an unknown language to anybody else. It wasn't gibberish. They were speaking in a language that somebody, it was a dialect that someone knew. That was the purpose of the gift of speaking in tongues. I'll give you a modern day example. So that if I met a Spanish speaking person on the street, and then in that day I had the gift of tongues, I could begin to speak to that person, just what was in my head, but it came out in Spanish so that they could understand it. And the purpose wasn't so I could glorify and talk about, "Woo, I've got the gift. No, it's so that they could hear the gospel because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Amen. And so that was the point. And so all the churches today that are barking in the corner and, and share, shouting out all this gibberish, it's unbiblical. It's absolutely unbiblical. You say, I've been there. I mean, boy, they, there's really a spirit there. There is, friend, there's a spirit of emotion but it's not grounded in the Word. They may love the Lord and they may love Jesus, but they are seriously misguided and they're not mature in their faith because 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 and verse number 10 says this, but when that which is perfect has come, what is that? It's the Word of God. When the canon of Scripture was completely put together, there would be no need now. For people to speak in tongues. Why? Because I can give a Spanish-speaking person a Spanish New Testament, and they can read the Word of God for themselves. I can give someone that speaks Portuguese a Portuguese Bible, and now they can read the Word of God for themselves. I don't have to have the gift of tongues because the perfect Word of God has come. So just to say, don't let anybody say, well, I've I've got a prayer language. No, you don't. You've got some emotional experience. Just speak like you speak. You're not... Well, now, I've moved up in my prayer life. No, friend, you've moved down because you're not growing spiritual understanding. There's no unknown tongue. There's no such thing. I'm not trying to be ugly, but I'm trying to be clear. Because we live in an area where there is a large number of people that believe that way, and I'm telling you, according to God's Word, they're wrong. They're wrong. Look what happened. They began to speak, verse number 4 says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And verse 5 says, And they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation. And when the sound occurred, the, the earth-shattering kaboom, they all were, they came together and said, Man, what, what happened down the street at that house? There's a gas leak. It's blown up. Because everyone now heard them as they began to move out of the house. Everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were there together, and all of a sudden the guy says, man, he's speaking my language. I thought he was a local. And this this guy says, well, he's speaking in my language. And they begin to hear him say, man, there we were out on the hill. And Jesus rose from the grave. He talked to us for 40 days. He died. He rose again. He gave us this mission. We just want to tell you, we waited for 10 days, and now something's happened in our heart. The Holy Spirit lives within us. My life's different. I've been set free from sin. And you can be set free from sin if you'll simply turn and trust Jesus Christ. So he just began to share, to be a, a witness, just simply to tell what they had heard and what they had experienced. And I don't, I don't have a lot of time, but I just want to bear out. This is a reversal of Genesis chapter 11. Remember that at, at Babel, after, after the, the flood, the earth began to grow through Noah's family. And the Bible says, just, you don't have to turn there, I just want to read to you, the Bible says that the whole earth In Genesis chapter eleven, verse one, now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and the earth began, and and many men began to become very evil. It it, it came to pass that they said, "Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly, and stone and asphalt." They said, "Come, let us build a city for ourselves, a tower whose tops to the heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth." I love this friend, but the Lord, but the Lord. But God knew about it, and God saw it. And God says, we've got to go down there. We've got to stop this, because all that they have, this one language that they have now, they're using it not to glorify me and to serve me, but to glorify themselves and to serve me. And the Bible says, in verse number 7, God said, Come, let us, capital U-S. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He said, let us go down and there confused their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of the earth, and they ceased to build the city, and they called the name of the city Babel. Babel. They babbled. Couldn't understand one another. Though they'd been neighbors and friends, Joe and Fred had been friends since they were young boys. Now they looked at each other and they, they couldn't understand one another. And so people began to move out. And so when these individuals came on the day of Pentecost together, they couldn't understand one another because they still lived in different places. But don't miss this. The gospel took away all those language barriers and gave them one common language. It was the Word of God. And it still does. I went on a mission trip several years ago to Brazil. And there was a preacher there in Manaus Friend, I didn't know what he was saying until I could get an interpreter. But I knew this in my spirit, friend. I knew what he was saying was true. I didn't have a word. I didn't have a clue. But I watched him look, looking at his Bible. I heard him preaching. And I went over beside that interpreter and said, what's it? He's telling all these people, Mary can't save you because it's highly Catholic in that area. The Pope can't save you. Turn to Jesus. Trust Jesus. Jesus will save your soul. Jesus will set you free. Friend, The Word of God brings people together. It's the gospel. So God reversed, though he had confounded language at Babel, he reversed it and brought everybody together and gave one language. It was the language of the gospel. And so people were able to hear the gospel in their own language. Friend, listen to me this morning. If the Holy Spirit can use those people, he can use you to speak the gospel in the same way. All you've got to do is speak it in English. Just be available and be open and tell people about the greatest thing that ever happened to you. These people just stepped out. That's the way the church was born. And people lament all the time. Maybe, maybe you feel this way. Do you feel America's not what it was 10 years ago? Raise your hand. You feel that way? We well, you don't know why? Because the church has failed to live on mission. It's not the Democrats' fault, it's not the Republicans' fault. It's not the president's fault, it's not the vice president's fault, it's not the speaker's fault, it's not the Supreme Court's fault, it's the church's fault. The Bible says suddenly there was a change. Friend, if Jesus Christ was known in the hearts and lives from the White House down, suddenly there'd be a change in this country. And God's called the church to tell people how to experience that sudden change. But we want to legislate it. Well, if we get a new president, maybe things will turn. They won't turn. If we can protect the Supreme Court, maybe things will change. They won't change. Well, maybe in two years, if we can get Congress, things will change. It will not change. The change that takes place that lasts eternally is when people turn and trust Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. How shall they hear without a preacher? God's called the church to tell people how to be saved. He's called the church. And these 120 early disciples, friend, just went out and faithfully told people, this is what Jesus Christ did for me. And God's called us to do that. And listen, we can't affect any other church, but we can affect ours. And we can daily move out and simply be faithful and just share with people. But friend, it's 100% mission failure without the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll stop trying to be faithful in the power of you, and just, you know, and just quit saying, because really you're saying the truth, so I just can't. You're halfway there. You're right, you can't. You can't. But you can through Christ who strengthens you. The church was born because God was faithful, but those disciples were faithful to step out and simply say, look what happened to me. Look what happened to me. And the people got saved, and they took it back to their community. It had to happen because not only was he resident, but he had to be president. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 says this. I love this. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. If we'll simply yield ourselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, friend, we can see sudden change in homes, lives, and in this community. And we'll see a gospel revolution that might spread all the way across this country. Isn't it sad how somebody can just drag a chain, throw a cigarette or a match out of the window, and the entire state of California is burned down, it seems like? Just because of one little spark. What would happen in this country, friend, if right here in Utah there's this big traceback, and say, what happens? So that church at Greenwood, man, they got on fire! They got serious about the Great Commission. They're telling everybody what Jesus Christ Has done. And a spiritual awakening could spread across this whole country. It happened in Jerusalem. Can it not happen here? 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 It can happen here. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You'll never be used, though, friend, until you've been born again. Ephesians 2 says if you've never been saved, you're dead. Spiritually, you're dead in trespasses and sin. You need to be born again. Won't you trust Jesus today to be Lord of your life? Choose to turn from all the sin that's in your life and by faith trust Him to be Lord of your life. Call upon Him. The Bible says He'll save you if you'll do that. Pray just like this where you sit this morning. God, forgive me a sinner. Jesus, I believe You died for me. And I'm turning from sin. I'm turning to You. And I want You to be Lord of my life. God, take me now and mold me into the person You want me to be. Shake my life. I thank you for saving me. That's my prayer. If you prayed that, you meant it with all your heart as the invitation begins in just a moment. Won't you make your way to the front here so we can encourage you in that decision? Friend, be honest. Are Are you being used by God to share the good news of what's happened to you? Is salvation still the greatest thing that ever happened to you? You know the Sunday school answer, but is that a reality in your life? Is it really the thing you thank God for the most every single day? If it's not, friend, then you've gotten over being saved. What you need is to ask God to forgive you and to revive your heart today. To remind you of how lost you were, how hopeless you were, and now how saved you are. And to carry that hot heart and a burning mouth wherever you go, telling people what Jesus has done for you. Maybe you just need to pray a prayer like this this morning that reflects that decision. Something just like this. God, I thank you for the day that you saved me. But God, I've got to be honest. I've gotten over being saved. I've become apathetic indifferent to the lostness that's around me. Father, the testimony of these people, these 120, it's not mine. There's a lot of talk that's coming out of my mouth. But it's more complaining than telling people how to be saved. God, forgive me. Revive my heart today. And God, what days I have left set me on fire and set my mouth on fire to tell people what Jesus Christ has done in my life and what he can do in theirs. That's my prayer today. Father, we thank you for the day the church was born and that through the ministry, Lord, and the suffering, oh God, the suffering of so many of our brothers and sisters and during those early days, there's a church here today at Greenwood There's a church somewhere where we got saved, and we're discipled and experienced ministry through that church. Thank you, God, might we continue on. Might we be found faithful like these early believers were, just to simply tell what we've heard and what we've experienced. God, help us to be faithful to live on mission in these days. God, you may be leading a family to link their life with this church. God, I pray they'll respond to that call this morning. Today, however, this church receives members. Somebody might have been saved, but they've never followed the Lord in the first act of obedience as a believer. And that's baptism by immersion. We pray they'll come this morning for that. Speak to your church now clearly, O Holy Spirit. Might your perfect will be done as we yield ourselves to it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Let's reverently stand their feet. Heads are bowed.